Chapter forty two of Framley Parsonage by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter forty two Touching Pitch. In these hot midsummer days, the end of June and the beginning of July, Mr. Sowerby had but an uneasy time of it. At his sister's instance, he had hurried up to London and there had remained for days in attendance on the lawyers he had to see new lawyers miss dunstable's men of business quiet old cautious gentlemen whose place of business was in a dark alley behind the bank messrs slow and bide a while by name who had no scruple in detaining him for hours while they or their clerks talked to him about anything or about nothing it was of vital consequence to mr sowerby that this business of his should be settled without delay and yet these men to whose care this settling was now confided went on as though law processes were a sunny bank on which it delighted men to bask easily and then too he had to go more than once to south audley street which was a worse infliction for the men in south audley street were less civil now than had been their wont it was well understood there that mr sowerby was no longer a client of the duke's but his opponent no longer his nominee and dependent but his enemy in the county caldicotts as old mr gumption remarked to young mr gageby caldicotts gageby is a cooked goose as far as sowerby is concerned and what difference could it make to him whether the duke is to own it or miss dunstable for my part i cannot understand how a gentleman like sowerby can like to see his property go into the hands of a gallipot wench whose money still smells of bad drugs and nothing can be more ungrateful he said than sowerby's conduct he has held the county for five-and-twenty years without expense and now that the time for payment has come he begrudges the price he called it no better than cheating he did not he mr gumption according to his ideas sowerby was attempting to cheat the duke it may be imagined therefore that mr sowerby did not feel any very great delight in attending at south audley street and then rumour was spread about among all the bill-discounting leeches that blood was once more to be sucked from the sowerby carcass the rich miss dunstable had taken up his affairs so much as that became known in the purlieus of the goat and compasses tom tozer's brother declared that she and sowerby were going to make a match of it and that any scrap of paper with sowerby's name on it would become worth its weight in bank-notes but tom tozer himself tom who was the real hero of the family pooh-poohed at this screwing up his nose 
and alluding in most contemptuous terms to his brother's softness he knew better as was indeed the fact miss dunstable was buying up the squire and by jingo she should buy them up them the tozers as well as the others they knew their value the tozers did whereupon they became more than ordinarily active from them and all their brethren mr sowerby at this time endeavoured to keep his distance but his endeavours were not altogether effectual whenever he could escape for a day or two from the lawyers he ran down to caldicott's but tom towser in his perseverance followed him there and boldly sent in his name by the servant at the front door mr sowerby is not just at home at the present moment said the well-trained domestic i'll wait about then said tom seating himself on an heraldic stone griffin which flanked the big stone steps before the house and in this way mr tozer gained his purpose sowerby was still contesting the county and it behoved him not to let his enemies say that he was hiding himself it had been a part of his bargain with miss dunstable that he should contest the county she had taken it into her head that the duke had behaved badly and she had resolved that he should be made to pay for it the duke she said had meddled long enough she would now see whether the caldicott's interest would not suffice of itself to return a member for the county even in opposition to the duke mr sowerby himself was so harassed at the time that he would have given way on this point if he had had the power but miss dunstable was determined and he was obliged to yield to her in this manner mr tom towser succeeded and did make his way into mr sowerby's presence of which intrusion one effect was the following letter from mr sowerby to his friend mark robarts caldicott's july eighteen fifty dash my dear robarts i am so harassed at the present moment by an infinity of troubles of my own that i am almost callous to those of other people they say that prosperity makes a man selfish i have never tried that but i am quite sure that adversity does so nevertheless i am anxious about those bills of yours bills of mine said robarts to himself as he walked up and down the shrubbery path at the parsonage reading this letter this happened a day or two after his visit to the lawyer at barchester and would rejoice greatly if i thought that i could save you from any further annoyance about them that kite tom tozer has just been with me and insists that both of them shall be paid he knows no one better that no consideration was given for the latter but he knows also that the dealing was not with him nor even with his brother and he will be prepared to swear that he gave value for both he would swear anything for five hundred pounds or for half the money for that matter i do not think that the father of mischief ever let loose upon the world a greater rascal than tom tozer he declares that nothing shall induce him to take one shilling less than the whole sum of nine hundred pounds 
he has been brought to this by hearing that my debts are about to be paid heaven help me the meaning of that is that these wretched acres which are now mortgaged to one millionaire are to change hands and be mortgaged to another instead by this exchange i may possibly obtain the benefit of having a house to live in for the next twelve months but no other tother however is altogether wrong in his scent and the worst of it is that his malice will fall on you rather than on me what i want you to do is this let us pay him one hundred pounds between us though i sell the last sorry jade of a horse i have i will make up fifty and i know that you can at any rate do as much as that then do you accept a bill conjointly with me for eight hundred it shall be done in forrest's presence and handed to him and you shall receive back the two old bills into your own hands at the same time this new bill should be timed to run ninety days and i will move heaven and earth during that time to have it included in the general schedule of my debts which are to be secured on the caldicott's property the meaning of which was that miss dunstable was to be cozened into paying the money under an idea that it was part of the sum covered by the existing mortgage what you said the other day at barchester as to never executing another bill is very well as regards future transactions nothing can be wiser than such a resolution but it would be folly worse than folly if you were to allow your furniture to be seized when the means of preventing it are so ready to your hand by leaving the new bill in forest's hands you may be sure that you are safe from the claws of such birds of prey as these tozers even if i cannot get it settled when the three months are over forest will enable you to make any arrangement that may be most convenient for heaven's sake my dear fellow do not refuse this you can hardly conceive how it weighs upon me this fear that bailiffs should make their way into your wife's drawing-room i know you think ill of me and i do not wonder at it but you would be less inclined to do so if you knew how terribly i am punished pray let me hear that you will do as i counsel you yours always faithfully n sowerby in answer to which the parson wrote a very short reply framley july eighteen fifty my dear sowerby i will sign no more bills on any consideration yours truly mark robarts and then having written this and having shown it to his wife he returned to the shrubbery walk and paced it up and down looking every now and then to sowerby's letter as he thought over all the past circumstances of his friendship with that gentleman that the man who had written this letter should be his friend that very fact was a disgrace to him sowerby so well knew himself and his own reputation that he did not dare to suppose that his own word would be taken for anything not even when the thing promised was an act of the commonest honesty 
the old bills shall be given back into your own hands he had declared with energy knowing that his friend and correspondent would not feel himself secure against further fraud under any less stringent guarantee this gentleman this county member the owner of caldicott's with whom mark robarts had been so anxious to be on terms of intimacy had now come to such a phase of life that he had given over speaking of himself as an honest man he had become so used to suspicion that he argued of it as of a thing of course he knew that no one could trust either his spoken or his written word and he was content to speak and to write without attempt to hide this conviction and this was the man whom he had been so glad to call his friend for whose sake he had been willing to quarrel with lady lufton and at whose instance he had unconsciously abandoned so many of the best resolutions of his life he looked back now as he walked there slowly still holding the letter in his hand to the day when he had stopped at the schoolhouse and written his letter to mr sowerby promising to join the party at caldicott's he had been so eager then to have his own way that he would not permit himself to go home and talk the matter over with his wife he thought also of the manner in which he had been tempted to the house of the duke of omnium and the conviction on his mind at the time that his giving way to that temptation would surely bring him to evil and then he remembered the evening in sowerby's bedroom when the bill had been brought out and he had allowed himself to be persuaded to put his name upon it not because he was willing in this way to assist his friend but because he was unable to refuse he had lacked the courage to say no though he knew at the time how gross was the error which he was committing he had lacked the courage to say no and hence had come upon him and on his household all this misery and cause for bitter repentance i have written much of clergymen but in doing so i have endeavoured to portray them as they bear on our social life rather than to describe the mode and working of their professional careers had i done the latter i could hardly have steered clear of subjects on which it has not been my intention to pronounce an opinion and i should either have laden my fiction with sermons or i should have degraded my sermons into fiction therefore i have said but little in my narrative of this man's feelings or doings as a clergyman but i must protest against its being on this account considered that mr robarts was indifferent to the duties of his clerical position he had been fond of pleasure and had given way to temptation as is so customarily done by young men of six-and-twenty who are placed beyond control and who have means at command had he remained as a curate till that age subject in all his movements to the eye of a superior he would we may say have put his name to no bills have ridden after no hounds have seen nothing of the iniquities of gatherham castle there are men of twenty-six 
as fit to stand alone as ever they will be fit to be prime ministers heads of schools judges on the bench almost fit to be bishops but mark robarts had not been one of them he had within him many aptitudes for good but not the strengthened courage of a man to act up to them the stuff of which his manhood was to be formed had been slow of growth as it is with many men and consequently when temptation was offered to him he had fallen but he deeply grieved over his own stumbling and from time to time as his periods of penitence came upon him he resolved that he would once more put his shoulder to the wheel as became one who fights upon earth that battle for which he had put on his armour over and over again did he think of those words of mr crawley and now as he walked up and down the path crumpling mr sowerby's letter in his hand he thought of them again it is a terrible falling off terrible in the fall but doubly terrible through that difficulty of returning yes that is a difficulty which multiplies itself in a fearful ratio as one goes on pleasantly running down the path whitherward had it come to that with him that he could not return that he could never again hold up his head with a safe conscience as the pastor of his parish it was sowerby who had led him into this misery who had brought on him this ruin but then had not sowerby paid him had not that stall which he now held in barchester been sowerby's gift he was a poor man now a distressed poverty-stricken man but nevertheless he wished with all his heart that he had never become a sharer in the good things of the barchester chapter i shall resign the stall he said to his wife that night i think i may say that i have made up my mind as to that but mark will not people say that it is odd i cannot help it they must say it fanny i fear that we shall have to bear the saying of harder words than that nobody can ever say that you have done anything that is unjust or dishonourable if there are such men as mr sowerby the blackness of his fault will not excuse mine and then again he sat silent hiding his eyes while his wife sitting by him held his hand don't make yourself wretched mark matters will all come right yet it cannot be that the loss of a few hundred pounds should ruin you it is not the money it is not the money but you have done nothing wrong mark how am i to go into the church and take my place before them all when every one will know that bailiffs are in the house and then dropping his head on to the table he sobbed aloud mark robart's mistake had been mainly this he had thought to touch pitch and not to be defiled he looking out from his pleasant parsonage into the pleasant upper ranks of the world around him had seen that men and things in those quarters were very engaging his own parsonage with his sweet wife were exceedingly dear to him and lady lufton's affectionate friendship had its value 
but were not these things rather dull for one who had lived in the best sets at harrow and oxford unless indeed he could supplement them with some occasional bursts of more lively life cakes and ale were as pleasant to his palate as to the palates of those with whom he had formerly lived at college he had the same eye to look at a horse and the same heart to make him go across a country as they and then too he found that men liked him men and women also men and women who were high in worldly standing his ass's ears were tickled and he learned to fancy that he was intended by nature for the society of high people it seemed as though he were following his appointed course in meeting men and women of the world at the houses of the fashionable and the rich he was not the first clergyman that had so lived and had so prospered yes clergymen had so lived and had done their duties in their sphere of life altogether to the satisfaction of their countrymen and of their sovereigns thus mark robots had determined that he would touch pitch and escape defilement if that were possible with what result those who have read so far will have perceived late on the following afternoon who should drive up to the parsonage door but mr forrest the bank manager from barchester mr forrest to whom sowerby had always pointed as the deus ex machina who if duly invoked could relieve them all from their present troubles and dismiss the whole tozer family not howling into the wilderness as one would have wished to do with that brood of tozers but so gorged with prey that from them no further annoyance need be dreaded all this mr forrest could do nay more most willingly would do only let mark robarts put himself into the banker's hand and blandly sign what documents the banker might desire this is a very unpleasant affair said mr forrest as soon as they were closeted together in mark's book-room in answer to which observation the parson acknowledged that it was a very unpleasant affair mr sowerby has managed to put you into the hands of about the worst set of rogues now existing in their line of business in london so i supposed curling told me the same curling was the barchester attorney whose aid he had lately invoked Erling has threatened them that he will expose their whole trade but one of them who was down here a man named tozer replied that you had much more to lose by exposure than he had he went further and declared that he would defy any jury in england to refuse him his money he swore that he discounted both bills in the regular way of business and though this is of course false i fear that it will be impossible to prove it so he well knows that you are a clergyman and that therefore he has a stronger hold on you than on other men the disgrace shall fall on sowerby said robarts hardly actuated at the moment by any strong feeling of christian forgiveness i fear mr robarts that he is somewhat in the condition of the tozers he will not feel it as you will do 
i must bear it mr forest as best i may will you allow me mr robarts to give you my advice perhaps i ought to apologize for intruding it upon you but as the bills have been presented and dishonoured across my counter i have of necessity become acquainted with the circumstances i am sure i am very much obliged to you said mark you must pay this money or at any rate the most considerable portion of it the whole of it indeed with such deduction as a lawyer may be able to induce these hawks to make on the sight of the ready money perhaps seven hundred and fifty pounds or eight hundred pounds may see you clear of the whole affair but i have not a quarter of that sum lying by me no i suppose not but what i would recommend is this that you should borrow the money from the bank on your own responsibility with the joint security of some friend who may be willing to assist you with his name lord lufton probably would do it no mr forest listen to me first before you make up your mind if you took this step of course you would do so with the fixed intention of paying the money yourself without any further reliance on sowerby or on any one else i shall not rely on mr sowerby again you may be sure of that what i mean is that you must teach yourself to recognize the debt as your own if you can do that with your income you can surely pay it with interest in two years if lord lufton will assist you with his name i will so arrange the bills that the payments shall be made to fall equally over that period in that way the world will know nothing about it and in two years time you will once more be a free man many men mr robarts have bought their experience much dearer than that i can assure you mr forest it is quite out of the question you mean that lord lufton will not give you his name i certainly shall not ask him but that is not all in the first place my income will not be what you think it for i shall probably give up the prebend at barchester give up the prebend give up six hundred a year and beyond this i think i may say that nothing shall tempt me to put my name to another bill i have learnt a lesson which i hope i may never forget then what do you intend to do nothing then those men will sell every stick of furniture about the place they know that your property here is enough to secure all that they claim if they have the power they must sell it and all the world will know the facts so it must be of the faults which a man commits he must bear the punishment if it were only myself that's where it is mr robarts think what your wife will have to suffer in going through such misery as that you had better take my advice lord lufton i am sure but the very name of lord lufton his sister's lover again gave him courage he thought too of the accusations which lord lufton had brought against him on that night when he had come to him in the coffee-room of the hotel and he felt that it was impossible that he should apply to him for such aid 
it would be better to tell all to lady lufton that she would relieve him let the cost to herself be what it might he was very sure only this that in looking to her for assistance he would be forced to bite the dust in very deed thank you mr forrest but i have made up my mind do not think that i am the less obliged to you for your disinterested kindness for i know that it is disinterested but this i think i may confidently say that not even to avert so terrible a calamity will i again put my name to any bill even if you could take my own promise to pay without the addition of any second name i would not do it there was nothing for mr forrest to do under such circumstances but simply to drive back to barchester he had done the best for the young clergyman according to his lights and perhaps in a worldly view his advice had not been bad but mark dreaded the very name of a bill he was as a dog that had been terribly scorched and nothing should again induce him to go near the fire was not that the man from the bank said fanny coming into the room when the sound of the wheels had died away yes mr forrest well dearest we must prepare ourselves for the worst you will not sign any more papers eh mark no i have just now positively refused to do so then i can bear anything but dearest dearest mark will you not let me tell lady lufton let them look at the matter in any way the punishment was very heavy end of chapter forty two recording by nick whitley purley united kingdom